Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. This is Justin from Orlando, Florida. I have a question regarding cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. My question for you is would you pull some of that out, rebalance it, or is that part of the portfolio just leave it to run? Look forward to the answer. Thank you very much. I would definitely rebalance it. And the main reason is because I think ultimately there are major, major questions about the real intrinsic value uh, of Bitcoin. Invest Talk, over 30 million downloads and counting. Quick question What are some signs of a that a recession is coming? Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our April 12th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk, and I'm glad to be back. I took a nice, relaxing week off and on the island of Maui. It was beautiful and relaxing, but I am back in the saddle today, ready for your questions, ready for whatever is on your mind. I know Steve Peasley, and I thank you for listening and encourage you to reach out with your questions during this hour. And this hour, I'm going to operate with my usual mission statement, independent thinking and shared success. And that means when I'm speaking about markets and market movements, I'm explaining different processes and terminologies within the market. Uh, I'm discussing particular sectors or particular companies. I'll be presenting all this without bias. I'm just here to give you the facts as I see them using the data that's in front of me. As you know, there's a lot of great data uh, that is easy to get now. I say easy, but a lot easier than it used to be, say that. Uh, and obviously my 20 years of investment knowledge as well. Now, of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. And yes, when you do that, you get to shape the show to your liking. So I'm Justin Klein, and I encourage you to interact with us right now during this live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time. Or if you're listening after hours, you can always leave a message on our anytime Invest Talk voice bank. Either way, the number never changes, 888-99. Charts, let's get right to our first question now. Steve or I would like to get your take on Gazprom, symbol OGZ. PY trades over the counter. I would like to see about taking a small position in this company, maybe one to two percent, and uh, would like to get your take. Thanks very much. So this is Gazprom. This is one of, if not the largest, Russian gas companies in the world. Market cap's about sixty-seven billion dollars, yields about seven percent, and Based on almost any metric that you look at, enterprise value to sales, enterprise value to EBITDA, etc., it's relatively cheap, even though it does have a pretty decent amount of debt. The problem here is that it's Russia, and you have geopolitical concerns. 
And if you want to know anything about geopolitical concerns, go back into the early 2000s and look up the company called Yukos. Yukos. And basically, it was driven into bankruptcy because the CEO, the chairman, uh, didn't get along with the Russian government. And they threw him in jail and charged him with tax evasion. There's a lot more to the story, but I'll leave it there. Uh, and it just goes to show you that whenever you're investing in these kind of rogue nations like Russia, and I do think Russia in a lot of ways gets a bad rap, but still you're dealing with a lot more geopolitical risk than, say, an Exxon or a Chevron or any other large integrated oil companies in the world. And many of them pay similar dividends, trade at similar multiples, uh, and have more global footprint and less geopolitical risk, at least concentrated geopolitical risk, right? And a lot of them have geopolitical risk and they operate in so many different countries and, and little parts of their business can be disrupted because of that. But Gazprom mainly focuses in Russia and the fact that its sources of revenue, sources of product come from Russia make me not like this very much, uh, in relation, especially in relation to some, a lot of the other names. Now, if you give me a big, big discount, to the large integrated names, I'd say sure. But it's not, it's not trading at a, a massive discount. And so for that reason, I'm out, in the, in the words of uh, Mark Cuban. So I'm gonna pass on Gazprom and I'd stick with one of the larger, more integrated, globally diversified oil companies. Let's go to Andreas in Riverside looking at Microsoft. Hey, Justin. Yeah, my name is uh, Andreas. I'm relatively new to investing and relatively new to the podcast as well, but I've been enjoying it. I've been doing a lot of reading. I have a little bit of money that I'm looking to invest. I've been looking at some, as kind of following your advice, some bigger companies, established companies that seem to be doing well. And I've been kind of following Microsoft for the past couple of days and weeks and trying to find if there's a good point to, to invest in. It, it, it honestly seems like the price is just going up. And every day I wonder whether I should have still waited or not and would love to get your take on whether this is a good time to invest in Microsoft or whether you'd hold off or just any other thoughts you'd have on that. Well, Microsoft is doing well. It's one of the strongest of you could say the FANG names, but it's technically not in, in the FANG uh, group. But uh, it, it's certainly one of the most well-run software companies in the world. You're approaching a $2 trillion market cap here. Uh, and really, when you're investing in any of these large tech names with multi-trillion dollar market caps now, you're, like I said, $1.9 trillion is the current market cap of Microsoft. Only uh, I think Apple's the only one larger, currently at two point two. Uh, but what's happening here is this is part of the indexing craze is that so much of the index of the S&P, for example, is concentrated in uh, the, these top names. And so as the market goes higher and money is flowing into the S&P, for example, more and more of more and more sense of every dollar go to those top names. And so that's kind of what you're seeing here. This is more of a market bet for me overall. 5.5% of the S&P is Microsoft. 6% is Apple. So every dollar that goes in the S&P, 11, sorry, yeah, uh, 11 and a half cents goes to Apple and Microsoft. 
And so it's kind of this reflexive trade that if the S&P is doing well, money's flowing in to the index, and money tends to flow more towards those top names, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Alphabet. Those are the top holdings. They make up total roughly 18 to 20% of the index. So as long as the indexes are doing well, money's going to keep flowing there. If that changes for whatever reason, right, you have a sell-off in the, in the market, in the economy, uh, you're going to have money start flowing out of those names. It goes the other way as well. And so if you're looking at the fundamentals of, say, a Microsoft or an Apple, a, a lot of it is out the window at this point because so many people are investing in names kind of blindly without looking at whether it's overvalued or undervalued. And I would say Microsoft's neither. I don't think it's overvalued too much or undervalued, uh, it, but it's a good company. And a lot of it depends on your time frame. So longer term, Microsoft should be fine. Uh, but understand the risks of it being such a large portion of the overall indexes. Now, why are we here today? Why am I doing this particular podcast? Well, I've just turned from a nice getaway vacation in Hawaii, and you and I both know that the job of building your financial future shouldn't completely stop, no matter if you're on vacation or not. The world continues turning even while you're away, and your portfolio is invested, and it can't take a vacation either. So when you return to reality, you need information and effective strategies to help deal with the market that is constantly churning and changing. And that brings uncertainty, but it also brings opportunity. And so I'm ready to take your calls on our Invest Talk Anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. So let's check out on the market today. It was a very, very boring day. The S&P closed down less than one point. Traded in a very tight trading range. The Russell traded down nine points, pretty much do-nothing day. The NASDAQ, that was down 50 points, so definitely the, the most weakness, but still less than a third of a percent, about a third of a percent down. Certainly the growth side of the market did a little bit worse than the value side, but nothing to write home about. So today was not very exciting. Now, Earnings season does start here this week, going into next week. It starts heating up. So I think the market's looking a lot at that. Powell had his 60 Minutes interview yesterday, or aired yesterday at least. Nobody really took anything out of it. There's nothing really to, to say. It was kind of a, uh, everyone kind of knew uh, basically what he was saying. So um, no real news on that front either. So a very boring day in the market today. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. You're taking your calls live at 888 chart For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You've found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Hey, Steve and Justin. First off, thanks for the show. Very grateful for all of the information. This is Justin from Orlando, Florida. I have a question regarding cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. I put a very small portion of my portfolio, roughly 1%, into Bitcoin back in early mid August, and I've kind of left it. And since then, you know, it's gone from 20,000 to 
50, 55, 56, somewhere in that area. My question for you is, would you pull some of that out, rebalance it, or is that part of the portfolio, just leave it to run? Look forward to the answer. Thank you very much. I would definitely rebalance it. And the main reason is because I think ultimately there are major, major questions about the real intrinsic value uh, of Bitcoin. People don't, people don't understand currencies, I think, well enough. And they say, well, the dollar, you can just print it, it's true. But the dollar is, has an inherent demand to it for a few reasons. One is that it can pay taxes. Okay? And the government is going to ask for your taxes and going to want your taxes. In order to pay taxes, you need dollars. And that creates a natural demand. So any type of settlement of payment with the government, U.S. government, you need dollars. Not only that, but around the world, there are dozens of countries that operate on the dollar because their own currencies and their own government are not trusted as much. And you can argue ours is eroded, and that's perfectly fine, and I probably agree with that, but still probably not to the level of many of the other countries. Number three, and probably the biggest, are obligations. Obligations meaning debt. Debt denominated in dollars. When you have to service debt, if you have a mortgage, if you have a credit card, if you're a business operating here domestically or abroad, and you borrowed money, you probably borrowed that money in dollars. In order to pay the interest, in order to pay it off, you need dollars. And that creates a natural demand for dollars. And that's something that I think is missing with Bitcoin. And that's why I think Ethereum has actually a little bit more interest for me, personally, longer term. Because there are platforms, think of NFTs, the new craze right now, it's using Ethereum. And if you want to purchase an NFT, you're going to need Ethereum, right? If you want to own that particular asset. And Bitcoin, it doesn't really have that. Right now, its primary use case is speculation. And the idea is store value, and there's other security issues, there are other uh, technical problems with blockchain, blockchain bloat, energy consumption, etc., that still need to be worked out. And I think longer term, as more and more people focus on the problems, they'll solve a lot of those problems. But that's probably going to take multi-decades. And in those multi-decades, there's going to be big volatility in this space. Not only that, will the governments come in and crack down, implement some control? That's certainly likely as well. So there's a lot of moving parts, and therefore, I would take some profits and rebalance your portfolio. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Steve Peasley and I have recorded a new Rapid Fire Hour podcast. In the course of one hour, we move quickly through 30-plus listener questions. It's for free download over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Our phone lines are open, so give us a call at 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. 
Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. My focus point today concerns the question is the gig economy destined to be transformed? Now, in Europe, Uber has been forced to reclassify 70,000 of its British drivers as workers, and with a shortage of drivers here in the U.S., Uber, 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 Uber recently announced a $250 million driver stimulus. So, this is a good story because it covers two, two trends. One is more government regulation when it comes to workers' rights, workers' benefits, etc. And number two is shortage of supply of workers. Now, some of that has to do with shifting in careers. A lot of people over the first six, nine months of the pandemic who were out of a job either because their business that they work for shut down, went away, or whatever, and they needed to find other work, and many of them shifted industries that were still open and still functioning. Others just didn't want to work because they were afraid of infection and being around other people, etc. And I think that's still influential for a lot of people, especially those that have weaker immune systems, even with vaccine rollout. And three, stimulus. Giving people money, extending unemployment, less reason for people to go back to work. And so the, the lack of workers has as many contributions to it. And actually, I would say four are baby boomers. Baby boomers have been retiring in the tens of millions a day for the past number of years, and that accelerated, almost doubled the pace during the pandemic because, once again, a lot of them are older because they're baby boomers. A lot of them are uh, immunocompromised, and maybe their business, they didn't need to go out back to work. They didn't want to deal with waiting through the pandemic. They just went straight into retirement. And so that all those things combined mean it's going to be more expensive to hire and pay for workers. You've seen that with compensation at multi-year highs when it comes to growth year over year. That's even if you're using pre-pandemic numbers. And so that is a trend I don't think it's letting up, and that's going to be a very interesting topic on the earnings calls for the next few weeks as Q1 earnings come out. Uh, And then going back to the first point of Governments coming in and applying more, more draconian measures across the board, we've seen that, but especially when it comes to workers' rights and these new kind of gig economy type companies. And I think that's going to be uh, one of the primary risks for these type of public companies, the Ubers of the world, the Lyfts of the world, etc. is what will governments do to kind of bring the rights of these gig economy workers up to the level of most other workers in the, in the economy. Because for years, they've been operating kind of this new class, unregulated. And in some ways, that's good. 
A lot of drivers love that, that flexibility. But in other ways, it's bad for people that make it a living and need more benefits and more of a living wage. And so I think that's going to be something governments are going to start to put their foot on. And you've seen that here in the EU, and that's also spreading here in the U.S. as well. So uh, something to watch and consider if you're looking to invest in that space. Let's go to Emilios in San Francisco. He's looking at Pfizer. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well. I'm, Welcome I'm, back. Aloha. <laughs> aloha. Aloha. It was, uh, it was a nice vacation and uh, pretty good weather. Great. Uh, yeah, Great. so you're looking at Pfizer? I'm, I'm looking. I read an article. I don't know how true it is that perhaps they're going to cut their dividend. I don't know how true it is or what you think. But obviously you guys are, you are my, uh, you know, the absolute source that I go to. Well, what would be the reason for that dividend cut? Did they say? Because it, it had something to, uh, to, to do with a company that, uh, VTRA, Viatris, I think, that they bought. Oh, okay. So they made an acquisition. Um, I haven't seen... Yeah. Looks like what position? Hmm. They're, but they're they, dividend they, yield... The article said they, they, they possibly... So I, don't, I think it's maybe perhaps a rumor. I don't yeah. know. Their payout ratio is a bit high, 87% based on earnings, 72% based on cash flow. So that is on the higher end of what we like to see. But it's also Pfizer. It's a business with consistent revenue, consistent profitability, consistent cash flows. So it's not a name that I expect. And, and access to the debt market. So it can, you know, has a bad year. It can certainly uh, fund that with some sort of, of, of debt, which isn't the greatest use of, of capital and allocation, allocation of capital, but still. Uh, so I don't think they're going to cut their, their dividend. And to me, that matters less to the longer-term trajectory of the business. Uh, you know, certainly the, the vaccine has helped them uh, with their revenues, and revenues last quarter were up 12% year-over-year from before. It was only up 2%. So I don't think they're going to cut their dividend. I, I'm not sure where you read that. Um, Good company, probably not my favorite in the space, in the in the drug space, uh, but I don't think the dividend's going anywhere. Now, the next invest talk, this story: five ways to squeeze every last penny out of your 401k. Having a 401k is good if you make the most of your employer-sponsored plan. That story tomorrow, but give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. 
You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's head to Judy in Idaho. She has a follow-up on Pfizer. What do you know, Judy? Well... Pfizer, you know, spun off some of their products and formed a new company. I don't know how you call it, but it's VTRS. Mm-hmm. And so when they when they uh, put a dividend in in May, then Pfizer's going to take away that amount. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Actually, so they're uh, not when... doing it because of problems. They, they yeah, were yeah. planning to do this. I've known about this for over a year. Okay, yeah, so I, I wasn't privy to this, but I, I just brought up an article. And what it looks like here, and this was announced in July of 2019, is well, that it might spinning be off. Because one time it was going to be July, one, you know, they never, they yeah. keep changing when it was going to be. Yeah, well, the transaction closed November of last year and created, like you said, Viatris, is how I would say it, VTRS. It looks like what they did was they spun off uh, one of the units called Upjohn and merged it with uh, a business from Mylan. And so Pfizer shareholders will get 57% of Viatris and Mylan 43%. Uh, that's what it looks like here. And because of that spinoff and the loss of Upjohn in this transaction, uh, they're cutting their dividends. So you're, you're right. It, it looks more of just a, a management uh, business structural change than something bad about their business. You know, you spin off uh, a unit, and uh, it looks like Upjohn is a pretty big unit, and that's going to impact your overall profits and cash flow, et cetera, and naturally cut, 
cut dividend, but you're getting part of Viatris as well, it looks like. Um, so maybe that's, uh, that's the reason. So uh, thanks for the call. Thanks for looping me in on that. And, uh, you know, these things, these things happen. You know, the management's job is to steward the shareholders' capital in the best way possible. And sometimes creating a merger of a subunit like this can make sense. There can be synergies made out of it, et cetera. And so uh, I wouldn't worry about it uh, in the grand scheme of things because you're still going to have a better business and there's nothing deteriorating about the business because of it. Hopefully there's some synergies. Now let's touch on that. Let's touch on earnings here because we're going into earnings season. In fact, this week, you're going to get results from JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Delta Airlines, Pepsi, United Health, some of the big boys within the S&P. And so far, the S&P is up about 9.9% this year. And valuations remain relatively high, but valuations can stay high, especially with liquidity high and with expectations for earnings expected to be higher this year and even higher again next year. Now, the S&P currently trades at about 22 and a half times its forward projected earnings for the next 12 months, which is about 20% higher than the 18.1%, which is the average over the last five years. Now, the big question for the markets is all the good news priced in because of this rally. Analysts are forecasting that profit growth among S&P 500 companies to be 24% today versus 16% at the end of December. So they've, throughout the quarter, plus, they've been increasing their projected earnings growth for the first quarter by roughly 50%, right? You go from 16 to 24, that's 50% increase in that growth. So that's the higher expectations that are now priced in. Now, is it completely priced in. And 2020, as a whole, 2021, earnings are associated up 26%. Now, that's not really a big, that's a whoop-de-doo. Because 2020 was a terrible year for earnings. So that's not a shock. What will be more important for the market when these earnings come out is looking at things like rising raw material costs. You had a recent announcement from Kimberly Clark, maker of Huggies and Scott's paper products. They said that higher costs are going to impact profits. And the stock took a hit because of it. You also have corporate tax increases, proposals of that by President Biden and the White House. And how much will that affect the bottom line? Some companies that will impact more than others. Some are multinational. Some are directly in line to take a hit on earnings because of this. Some less so. Some have deferred tax losses that they'll be able to offset for a while, even if, it, if taxes go up. So corporate taxes are not straightforward. There's a lot of loopholes. There's, like I said, a lot of them are multinationals, et cetera. But that'll be something that the market will watch and be interested in. What do they say about those particular variables in their earnings expectations. Remember, the market will wipe away last quarter almost immediately. It won't matter too much. It's what the CEOs and the management teams will say. Now, for the first quarter, analysts expect earnings to rise in nine out of the 11 sectors, led by consumer discretionary, financials, and materials. 
But once again, they will look forward. For example, Nike, they fell 4% the day after they reported higher than expected earnings. Earnings were better, but they fell. Why? Because they said shipping problems had hurt sales. So anything that is going to be in the way of sales or maintaining or increasing margins, that's going to hurt businesses and hurt the stocks. So understand that. Try to ignore, and the market will likely ignore, much of what happened in the previous quarter unless it's some way material for the longer term. They will care a lot more about what the market says or what the management says going forward. Now let's keep things moving. Go back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 888 chart Love your program. This is Fred from Texas. I'm turning 67. I already have uh, some stocks with E-Trade. I was wondering about junk bonds because... I've got everything invested where I need to have it, but now I'm a little concerned. And I heard uh, the older gentleman say that you don't want to be buying bonds when interest rates are about to go up. Wouldn't they be cheaper then? Looking forward to your answer. Well, if in, when interest rates do go up, yes, bond prices tend to go down, and that tends to be a better value and because you're going to get higher relative payout. Coupon will be the same, but your price will be price that you pay is less, therefore your yield is higher. Now, junk bonds are complex. It's not just about interest rates. In fact, in the junk bond space, or in the bond space, fixed income space, junk bonds tend to be one of the more protected types of asset classes within bonds that, from higher interest rates and higher inflation. Well, why is that? Well, because they tend to pay out higher yields, and those higher yields can now be reinvested at higher rates. If you're getting 1%, you reinvest that at a higher rate, it's not that much. You're getting 5 6%, you can take those, those coupon payments and reinvest it at a higher rate, and you're getting uh, a better return there. Right? So you have more money available to invest in those higher, at those higher rates. That's kind of how that works. And on top of that, when interest rates are rising, that typically means the economy is doing well. Inflation is rising. Profits are increasing on an aggregate. And those junk bonds, which the market has some sort of premium trading on them, right now it's very, very low, but those companies are more able to pay back their debt and not default. And that's one of the bigger worries about junk bonds and specific issues. In a deflationary environment where interest rates are going down, when prices are falling, it's a lot harder for companies to repay that debt. Now, you go into a recession, whether that is an inflation-induced recession or a deflationary-induced recession, you're going to have higher default rates. And you could argue, you could easily argue, that governments are in now in the business of protecting companies, protecting companies from going out of business. They did that before. The Fed came in and bought junk bonds, junk bond ETFs, and now is kind of a political utility to keep these companies in business. And therefore, those low current credit spreads are justified. That's the argument. I don't know if I would agree with that, but that's the general argument. So you have to look at all of those multiple factors, credit risk, political risk, 
interest rate risk when it comes to gaining access to junk bonds and whether it's right for you. But make sure you go in with your eyes wide open. Now let's pivot from Texas to Vegas for another voice bank question. Hey, Stephen Justin, Gene from Las Vegas calling again. So I'm trying to build a dividend paying portfolio and I'm looking at a company, Geo Group, ticker GEO, looking at a 13% yield. Just curious of what you guys thought about this company. Appreciate what you guys do and I'll listen for the answer on the podcast. Thanks again. This is a great learning lesson. Whenever you're investing, Whenever you're looking for dividends especially, stop focusing on the total dividend yields that it's currently paying. That's the big flashing neon light out front. Come get my yield. Problem is, is that that's not good dividend investing. Good dividend investing is about good business investing. Understanding the business. Where are those cash flows coming from? Dividends have to be paid with earnings and cash flow. If their earnings and cash flow are struggling, maybe on their way out, you need to avoid it. And this is a good example. They recently cut their dividend. Looking backwards, their dividend yields 35%. Looking forward, it's 13%. And it's likely going to go lower. And you recently saw the price drop last week from about $7, almost $8, now down to sub-6, down 25% or so in just the last week. There goes your dividend yield. Two years of dividend yield looking forward. Why? Well, it's a REIT that invests in jails. And you have an administration, current administration, that it doesn't look too kindly to private prisons. The left in this country does not like private prisons. They're looking for prison reform, criminal justice reform, etc. And they've already come out and, and addressed this. Now, this doesn't mean that they're going to go away immediately, but they're going to push for it. And so there's way too much political risk here. And I'm not telling you whether I believe one side or the other. I'm just telling you what the reality is. And that's far more important. Trust me. One of the biggest mistakes anybody can make is mixing their political views with their investment views. They should never, ever, ever, ever mix. If you do, it's the recipe for disaster. So understand that. You just have to look at the facts in front of you. And the facts are that private prisons are in decline. In a lot of ways, it's bipartisan in some ways as well. So remember, when you're investing in dividends... Whether the dividend's 2%, 3%, 6%, 8%, 13%, 24%. Don't look at that. That's cute. It's nice. It's maybe a starting place. But you need to understand the business. And understand whether the dividend is sustainable. And clearly it's not. They just cut it. Well, now that we're through the first quarter, I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial. Let me remind you that here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, which means that whether we're operating on air or off air, 
We are providing unbiased guidance, and we're practicing parallel investing, meaning we invest in the same strategies as we do our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our offer to provide a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or GoToMeetings. Send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. And after speaking with one of us for a few minutes, we can see how we can make a difference in your financial lives. Maybe that's just a small suggestion. Maybe that's managing entire portfolios. It's just everyone's situation is a bit different. No obligation. Just call and we can talk. We would love to help you in any way. Now, next up, we'll take a caller question on the topic of recession. Hey, Stephen Justin, this is Ben from Oregon. I just wanted to say thank you very much for what you do for us investors. Quick question, what are some signs of a, that a recession is coming that we should keep an eye out for? And what's the best way as investors that we can prepare for that with having money on the sidelines you know, versus just the normal 5%, I think, is what you've mentioned to keep on the sidelines just to buy dips. Is there a different percentage that we should keep or uh, sell off in preparation for that recession? So thanks very much. I look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Well, a recession is different than a bear market. Most recessions, you have some sort of a bear market. can be quick, like March, April of last year can be long, like 2000 to 2003. And only part of that, we were in a recession. So make sure you understand that you can have bear markets and large pullbacks in the market without a recession. Recessions are more, have more to do, when you're looking at the market, have more to do with earnings recessions. That's more important. So a stronger dollar, for example, tends to be bearish for earnings in the economy because the multinationals and trade here in the U.S. becomes more uh, difficult because our products become more expensive. So those are, that's definitely negative for the economy. Yield curve is the classic one, right, when it inverts for a period of time. That is a signal that we're going into recession. Global trade, where is global trade going? Those are signals for recession. Are we shrinking? Are we expanding? So, no, there's no one bulletproof thing that says we're going to a recession or a bear market. And so, your cash level has more to do with your risk tolerance than anything else. 8899 chart, give me a call. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Hi, guys. This is Jake calling from Seattle. Thanks so much for taking my call. This is for Justin. I work for a major tech company, and a lot of these companies have an opportunity for an employee stock purchase program where they take a little bit of your paycheck every month and they allow you to buy discounted stock from your own company. I was wondering your take on this in general. I'm looking not to have too, too much of this particular company in my portfolio. You know, you guys recommend 5%. And I was just wondering your strategy on, on kind of diversifying that and uh, what your take is. Thanks so much. 
Well, you're correct. You don't want to overexpose yourself to one particular company's uh, equity, especially in the tech space. And I know you say, well, the tech's done so well. Well, yeah, that's in the past. But you want to be, A, skating where the puck is going, not where it's been. And B, history has taught a lot of lessons. The WorldComs, the Enrons of the world, but even the Qualcomms of the world. And you say, well, Qualcomm's a great company. Well, yeah, it is. But I remember, and this was early on in my professional career, the late 90s, and we had clients. A lot of them, were, this is back when InvestTalk was airing in San Diego. We had a lot of clients uh, down in San Diego. And many of them actually worked for Qualcomm. Some of them were just regular clerical secretaries, back office workers. And they bought a lot of company stock. And during 99, when stocks were going crazy, in a lot of ways, Qualcomm was kind of the Tesla of, of that time. And many of them became millionaires. And a lot of them sat down with, it wasn't me at the time, but it was Steve or my grandfather. And their suggestion was to diversify. Well, a lot of them didn't do that. They said, why would I do that? Maybe a millionaire. Well, they came back a couple years later, 2002, and that million dollars was more like 200000 which is still nice, but it's not anything you can retire on. So that's really the, the big issue there, is you don't want to get too tied to one company's stock. And so... I would take advantage of the discount and purchase that, make sure it's more than probably 15% of your overall portfolio. But slowly, as you get to, say, long-term capital gains on those, start to sell them off. And that's the way I'd roll it. Once you get to a long-term, sell off to kind of get down to sub 10%, ideally, as, as much as you can. But never allow it to get more than 15 20% max of your overall uh, portfolio. 20% is, is still extreme. But... You know, if you're trying to play that game, that's the way I would play it. Let's go to Robert in Pleasanton looking at Facebook. Hey, Justin. Hey, so I know you have been kind of down on the FANG stocks for a long time. Um, and about six weeks ago, I finally gave in, took your advice, sold Facebook, and now I've sit here and watched it go up about 20% since I sold it. I'm wondering if I should be getting back in. Um, just, yeah, I don't, everything I read indicates that uh, Facebook is cheap right now. It's still a good bargain. What do you say? Well, I, I definitely wouldn't make a decision just simply based on, oh, it's up 20% and I missed out and and. and, and having emotion behind that, because that's, that's not the way you, you think about it. Uh, the first is, is this an area of the, the market that you want to get exposure to? Tech, social media, and then you say, is this the best of the breed based on management, profitability, valuation, etc.? And there's an argument for that. It's Facebook, based on forward earnings, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 ish times expected 2022 earnings of $13.47, even though those earnings expectations are, are being downgraded. My biggest worry with Facebook 
has less to do with the business, although I think the Facebook platform itself is tired and struggling, uh, but they, they have Instagram still, which is thriving and strong, although TikTok's taken some of their, their shine on that front. Uh, my biggest worry with them is more to do with the regulatory backdrop. And you know, I, I see that as an issue over the, the longer term. And the extraction of data, surveillance capitalism is what you would call it. And so I'm not a fan of Facebook for that reason because I don't like the regulatory backdrop, um, but that could mean nothing over the, the short term. So don't use the recent move as some sort of trigger to make uh, any false decisions. But if you don't think the regulatory backdrop is bad, then Facebook, you could argue, is the best in the space. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. We post a new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Get your free downloads anytime at iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And as always, investtalk.com, and be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor. We